We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? How are you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very, very much, as always, for locking in. Um, this is going to be an audio-only episode today. Won't, well, actually, you know what? I shouldn't say that. It Actually, this episode will also be on YouTube. However, I don't have the video gear today, so there won't be an actual video on YouTube. It'll be the audio with a static version over it. So if you listen to or you watch this regularly on YouTube at this point, We'll have the audio for you at least. You can check it out there. I'm going solo today. Won't be a very long episode. I'm going to highlight the 10 biggest sore spots for the Buffalo Bills in the 2022 season. Uh, I'm talking about the 10 biggest reasons why I feel personally, and these are my reasons and my list personally, why I feel the Buffalo Bills did not achieve what many of us expected and hoped they ultimately would, which of course was a trip to the Super Bowl. Uh, what went wrong? We are going to dive in here in just a minute. And, uh, and in the interest of fairness on an episode soon, um, going to flip the coin and we're going to highlight the 10 biggest bright spots on the Buffalo Bills during the 2022 season. It's all about keeping the balance on this show. Uh, my friends, uh, Real quick, and then we're going to get cooking. Again, I don't want to take up too much of your time today. Uh, I just wanted to very, very sincerely thank everybody uh, who's been listening and watching for your support. Talking Buffalo was up 32% in downloads for last month. That is the second biggest uh, jump that I've ever had on this show as it nears Five years. In fact, we're just a couple of weeks away from our five-year anniversary here, and it's the biggest jump that we've had in um, percentage of downloads since May of 2018. And also on the video side, we just went over 1,000 subscribers. That's the first and what I hope will be several video milestones 
You know, the video side on YouTube, that's something that we've just recently uh, started putting more and more work into. And again, I just want to thank you. So if you're a new listener or you're a returning listener who hasn't done so yet, I humbly ask that you go and follow the show, subscribe, whatever they call it now, follow or subscribe on the audio side. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, iHeart, all the platforms, um, you name it, we're on there, Google. Uh, just the follow button on one of those. And on the YouTube side, go to Talking Buffalo, uh, the YouTube channel, and hit the subscribe button. Smash that like button whenever you watch one of our videos. Because I'm telling you, and I didn't buy this at first, but I've learned it's true. When you like videos, that interaction, it really, truly helps with the, the YouTube algorithms. I don't understand the YouTube algorithms, but I know that when people comment and, and like videos, it really helps a lot. It puts it out there for, for more eyeballs to see. On YouTube, you'll not only find like most episodes in its entirety, but I'm also putting more and more highlight clips from episodes up there. And starting very, very soon, we're going to be doing some live streams and some watch-alongs. Uh, so make sure you follow on both sides, you know, the audio side, which is, by the way, it's the only way you're going to hear every single episode for sure, 100% in its entirety. So again, thank you guys. The support's awesome. It means a lot. And again, let's just get cooking here. Here we go. Here are my personal top 10 Buffalo Bills sore spots for the 2022 season. Actually, you know what? Let's start with a bonus sore spot. This isn't in the top 10, but we'll call it honorable mention. Uh, the Bills window, it's always going to be open. When Josh Allen's the quarterback and he's healthy and playing at the level that he does, the Bills are always going to have that Super Bowl window open. But these past two few years, it feels like this was as easy as a path to get to the Super Bowls are going to get. You take 2021, they're 13 seconds away from hosting the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championship. And then you go to this year, and they had a home divisional round game at home in, in their stadium, and were they to win, it would have been a neutral site for the conference championship had they won. So these last two years were just, felt like it was almost tailor-made for the Buffalo Bills to get to the Super Bowl. Didn't happen. Uh, they had Josh Allen on a $16 million cap it this past year. That's going up to $39 million now. Stefan Diggs goes from $11 million to $20 million. They're on the hook for $18 million to Vaughn Miller for next year, 2023. Guys, that's $77 million just for three guys. And they got holes. And it's going to be harder than ever for, for Brandon Bean to, to fill them. This is going to be the first offseason, I think anyway, since Brandon Bean took over as Bill's GM, since he got here. The Buffalo Bills are going to lose guys that they really, truly don't want to lose. Prior to this year, there's been some guys here and there they probably wouldn't have minded keeping, but it wasn't a big deal to lose them in part because they had the resources to simply go out and, and get an adequate or even better replacement. But I don't think that's going to be the case this year. In fact, I'm confident it's not. I mean, they possibly could lose Tremaine Edmonds. They possibly, in fact, likely will lose Jordan Poyer. It's possible they can lose both those guys. And I promise you, the Buffalo Bills do not want to lose either of those guys, let alone both of them. And it could happen. And then lastly, when you talk about this window never being more wide open than it's been this last two years. I think the talent gap in the AFC East was pretty substantial. 
But now it, you can feel it. It's getting smaller. It's shrinking. Uh, Miami made the playoffs last year, and they're a dangerous team. We saw that. We saw it twice last year. Back to even count the playoffs. We saw it three times last year, and that was with the third string quarterback the last game. They're a dangerous team. I think the New York Jets are a good team who are a good quarterback away from being right there in the mix. The Jets got a lot of talent and a lot of key positions, but they need a quarterback, and I think they're going to get one. Maybe it's Aaron Rodgers. Maybe it's Jimmy G. Maybe it's Derek Carr. I think they're going to get someone substantial, and they're going to be right in the mix with the AFC. And then you got the New England Patriots. They're still hanging tough. They made the playoffs two years ago. They nearly made the playoffs last year. And they got a crap load of salary cap room too. So, I mean, they go out, they need a big time playmaker on offense. Maybe they, they had certainly had the, the money and the, and the ammunition to pull a trade for like a, a DeAndre Hopkins. That could shift the balance for that team. So, you take all that into consideration. Plus the Bills, by the way, next year. Man, and I know it's tough to really project schedules ahead of time. Many teams. You think they're going to be tough games and they end up being easy ones or vice versa. But man, oh man, you look at that Bills road schedule next year. Whew. They got games at Kansas City, at Philly, who are both in the Super Bowl, obviously. And then they also play at Cincinnati. So at Kansas City, at Philly, at Cincinnati. That is going to be a hell of a lot harder. Let me get my words right here. It's going to be a hell of a lot harder for the Buffalo Bills to get the 13 wins next year, I think, than it was this year. But anyway, and that's just honorable mention. Let's get to my top 10 Buffalo Bills biggest sore spots for 2022. Let's start at number 10. I went with Isaiah McKenzie, just not the weapon we hoped he'd be. Isaiah McKenzie flashed plenty of potential in 2021 when he had the opportunity especially, and I know we all remember that game at New England last year or two years ago, 11 catches, 125 yards, and a touchdown, a big road win against the Patriots. Uh, New England literally had no answer for him. I think it played a role, that game, and and the Bills saying goodbye to Cole Beasley in the offseason, and then they bring in Jamison Crowder, at least in partisan insurance to play the slot. Now, Crowder didn't stay healthy, and long story short, McKenzie had plenty of opportunity this past season to really uh, establish himself as a good starting slot receiver. Just didn't happen. His stats are all right, I guess. 42 catches, 423 yards, four touchdowns. He also had nine rushes for 55 yards and a touchdown. But overall, eh. He didn't play the Miami wildcard game with a hamstring injury, and he was off the stat sheet in the Cincinnati wildcard loss. So, you know, you get a guy for the... The most important games, the playoffs, he's your starter and literally disappearing act in the playoffs. Uh, I think the Bills can and, and they got to do better in the slot position in 2023. Now, that very well could be in-house. The Bills can't afford to spend money everywhere. And we already know that. I like Khalil Shakir. I think he's going to be in a strong spot to take over and wrestle that job away from Isaiah McKenzie. In fact, I'll tell you, it wouldn't be shocking to me at all uh, if the Bills move on from Isaiah McKenzie, if they cut him, in part at least because of cap considerations, uh, the Bills could save about $2.6 million in cap space, and they only eat about three hundred k in dead space were they to move on from Isaiah McKenzie. And again, this is a team that's going to have to restructure some deals, cut some guys, and that's just to get under the cap to be able to operate, let alone bring in new talent. Uh, they gave it a go. 
You know, in a part-time duty, Isaiah McKenzie showed he could be an asset. When they're jet sweeps, which by the way, I don't barely saw any of those here, but jet sweeps, some slot work, some other things here and there. Isaiah McKenzie's useful. He can be an asset, but I don't think him as the primary starting slot receiver is something that works. Didn't work in 2022, and I think we found that out this past year. Number nine, Trey White was not close to the Trey White that we know. And we, and by we, I mean fans and content creators. We thought Trey White would be back by the Packers game on Sunday night, immediately following the Buffalo Bills bye. Didn't happen. Trey didn't end up making his debut until several weeks later when they played against uh, Detroit on Thanksgiving. Now, again, who are we to know when Trey White could or should come back? It was always speculation. That's all it ever was. But uh, long story short, Trey played six games plus two in the playoffs, so eight altogether. And let me preface this by saying the man was coming off a major ACL tear. Our expectations were very high on him. But he didn't look right at all. And you could argue, even with the power of hindsight now, you could say, you know, maybe the Bills may have been better off in the end with playing Kyrie Elam and Dane Jackson on the field. Uh, we saw Cincinnati attack Trey often, both in the playoff game and in that nine minutes of game action uh, the first time they played. And that's something we didn't talk about. And obviously, we really didn't talk about much football at all because of what happened to Jamar Hamlin. But Jamar Chase twice abused Trey White badly in that game in Cincinnati. It just, again, in hindsight, and it's easy to be a, a Monday morning quarterback, but that felt like a telltale sign that Trey just, he wasn't right, man. He didn't look close to himself physically and surely mentally as well, having a hard time, you know, feeling confident on the knee, which is understandable. You know, I, I expect, or at least I'm hopeful that we'll see like pre-2021 Trey White next season. I mean, it's not lost on me. The guy was one of the best, very, very best corners in the NFL. Literally, an all-pro corner. He's great. But he wasn't close to great when he came back this past season. Not even close to it. And even with the valid excuse, which obviously was a valid excuse coming off a major ACL, it doesn't change the fact that Trey White's presence on the field compared to what he was, was a sore spot for the Buffalo Bills in 2022. Moving on to number eight. I think the Buffalo Bills were their own worst enemy for a lot of the season. The Bills lost three games in the regular season. One, they lost to the weather, I mean, and injuries. That was week three at Miami. was 9,000 degrees, and half the team seemed like they were out. But those other two games, they flat out beat themselves. I'm talking about the Jets. I'm talking about the Vikings. The Bills lost three games this year by eight points total. Three games, eight points total. They turned the ball over a lot. In fact, they turned the ball over four times in the opener against the Rams. They turned the ball over four times against the Vikings. They turned the ball over three times when they played at Chicago on Christmas Eve. And they turned the ball over three times when they played the Patriots in the last game of the regular season. Somehow they went 3-1 and one in those games with at least three turnovers in the regular season. Four times in the regular season, they went 3-1. and one. Actually, they went 4-1 and one if they got the playoff win over Miami because they turned the ball over three times that game too. So five times, including the playoffs, they turned the ball over at least three times. Translation, they made it a hell of a lot harder on themselves than it needed to be. And on top of the numbers, the amount of turnovers, let's add in how ugly 
many of these turnovers were. Some of them ugly, and we will talk about that in a few minutes. Some unexplainable drop passes, coaching decisions, some game plans that just felt weird, and of course the injuries. And yeah, I mean, the Bills were often their own worst enemy. You want evidence of that? You need evidence. The only time the Bills weren't their own worst enemy the entire season, in fact, was the one game where they didn't look like they were the better team on the field. Of course, I'm talking about the Cincinnati divisional round playoff blowout. That was a game where the Bills did not look like they even belonged on the same field. So that's one game. But all in all, for the season in its totality, the Bills far and away were their worst enemy. Wanted to make a quick announcement, some actual news involving this show. Starting on Thursday night, February 23rd, and then each Thursday after, Talking Buffalo will be taped live from Imperial Pizza. Uh, Going to get together with a different guest or multiple guests every week and just talk shop. I'm really excited about this series. You know, it's just a different vibe when you get a chance to sit down with somebody face-to-face in person and have a conversation. And it's pretty cool when there's people sitting around the bar, tables around the restaurant, um, listening and watching to what you're doing. Makes for a fun environment. So anyway, we're going to do the show each week at 7.30 p.m. And also noteworthy is that for the first time literally ever since Talking Buffalo has launched, uh, the show's going to be live streamed on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. So you can either watch it live in person at Imperial Pizza. You can watch it live from the internet at home or wherever on Thursday nights. Or, of course, it'll also be available in audio podcast form uh, overnight Thursday into Friday mornings, like always. I'm going to kick things off on the 23rd with one of the very best sports writers, not even just in Buffalo, anywhere in the country. Also, one of the best dudes in all the sports media business. Tyler Dunn is going to be with me. I'm really excited about that. So if you're looking for something to do on a Thursday night, come up to Imperial Pizza. By the way, the address is 1035 Ebber Road in South Buffalo. Uh, grab yourself some wings. By the way, wings are elite there. Pizza's very good. They got a ton of good stuff on their menu. So grab a bite. Suck down a pint of beer or two at the bar. Plenty of booths and tables as well. And come check out a taping of Talking Buffalo. Again, I'm really excited for this series. Should be a lot of fun. All right, moving on with this countdown, we're up to number seven. And for me, number seven is we saw too much 2018 slash 2019 Josh Allen. Now, I'm not going to sit here and recite Josh Allen's stats from 2022 and compare them to 2021. Trust me when I tell you, and you already know this, they're similar. They're very similar. Sometimes they're even like eerily similar. Josh Allen statistically in 2022, was every bit as good as he was in 2021, maybe even a little bit better. And when we left the 2021 season, heartbreak after Kansas City wins in overtime, the Bills squandered away the last 13 seconds. Josh Allen was at worst the number one B QB in the league to, to Patrick Mahomes. It was a great offseason. Josh is all over the place. He's playing on golf TV specials, things like that. Huge expectations. Josh was phenomenal. 
in 2021. The problem, even though the stats were very similar again this year with Josh Allen, and let me preface this by saying Josh Allen was still, even this past year, with the mistakes, still absolutely amazing for the bulk of last season. Uh, but the issue isn't the turnovers, it's the manner and, and how the ball was often turnover. Josh Allen threw 15 interceptions in 2021. He threw 14 this past season. So actually one less this year than last year. But the difference was unlike two years ago, the vast majority of Josh's picks were on nobody but Josh Allen himself. A lot of them were horrible decisions and even more horrible throws. That stretch, and by the way, leading up to this stretch, I'm talking about the Green Bay Packers game here, folks. From the opening week through the first half of the Green Bay Packers game, Josh Allen was playing on a level that was every bit as good as last year. And probably, in fact, not probably, he was a front runner at that point to win MVP for this season. He was off to that good of a start. He was playing that special. But starting with that stretch in the second half of the Packers game, that went through the Jets and, and, the, and the Minnesota games, the next two games, which the Bills lost both them, he threw six interceptions. Six. Five were in the red zone. And the worst part, literally all of them were on Josh Allen. And again, you know, you throw out the stats because they're similar, but it just felt like Josh had uglier turnovers. And at times it would pain, pain him to, to look and, and take the check down. He did it sometimes, but there were times where he should have, and he just did it, man. He was locked in on trying to force something that wasn't there. He wasn't taking the easy play. And that's why I call it 2019 Josh Allen, which we remember that as him playing hero ball. In 2018, 20, especially 2019, as he became a better quarterback, Josh Allen would make some highlight real plays, stuff you'd see on, on ESPN. You know, highlight real plays that only a handful of quarterbacks in the NFL can make. But he'd also make some terrible decisions and some terrible mistakes. And I think we saw a little bit too much of that this past year. Now, to be fair, Josh definitely played through some pain, major pain in his elbow after that hit in the, late in the Jets game. And he took a beating, man, in part because of how he plays, in part because of what a hard ass he is, a, just a tough-ass dude, much as he runs the ball, and in part because the offensive line didn't always protect him well. He also had a, a first-year offensive coordinator in Ken Dorsey. There's lots of factors, but as special as Josh is, and again, make no mistake about it, he is and still is very, very special. Many great plays as he makes, as good as he can make this offense look, he was often left looking in the mirrors. The guy giving the ball back to the opposition and quite frankly, you know, responsible for some of its failures, especially the losses to the Jets and the Vikings. I mean, just one of those games, the Bills win one of those games and they get a buy in the first round of the playoffs, which we now know they obviously most definitely needed. And again, these weren't like interceptions that went off a receiver's hand or just a bad break. You know, the ball's tipped at the line and bounces high in the air. That stretch of interceptions over those three games were just horrible, horrible decisions and 100% on Josh. And to some extent, it's understood. Look, a quarterback like Josh Allen, you're always, as long as he's playing football, you're going to have to take the good with the bad when it comes to him. His talent, his toughness, 
will always have him among the upper echelons of quarterbacks in the NFL. But if he ever wants to be, and I know he does, if he's ever going to be the absolute best of the best, the cream of the crop, the number one guy in this league, he can't go back to being 28, 29, or I'm sorry, 2018, 2019 Josh Allen, like he did just a little bit too much this past season. God, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard, by the way, folks, to sit here and levy criticism on a guy who plays so goddamn well as Josh Allen does 95% of the time. He's the best player on the team by a wide margin. It's not close. It's not easy to criticize him. But in this case, sorry, man, it, it is warranted. Number six, Ed Oliver didn't become dominant. By the end of 2021, I thought Ed Oliver was on the verge of being a dominant player in this league. I'm talking about the kind of guy who could take over a game like we've seen Chris Jones do against the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championship just uh, a week or so ago. Last year, or two years ago, four sacks, 10 tackles for loss, 14 quarterback hits, and this is 2021. But again, stats don't tell the whole story. They often don't with defensive linemen, not by a long shot. Ed Oliver was influencing games two years ago, doing more than just making the occasional splash play here and there. This offseason, going into this 2022 season, Joe Marino from Locked On Bills has this annual project where he reaches out to nine of us and we rank players in terms for the Bills in terms of, well, two lists. Number one is the 10 best players. And number two is the most critical player to the success of the Buffalo Bills. This offseason, I remember this vividly. I had Ed Oliver number two right after Josh Allen on the list of the most critical players to, to the Buffalo Bills success. I might have had him number two as the second, I think, the second best player on the team as well. But anyway, I, I, I thought he would be the second best defensive player on his team behind Von Miller. And that's saying something because the Buffalo Bills are a team with plenty of defensive stars. You're talking guys like Matt Milano and Jermaine Edmonds and Micah Hyde, who was healthy, you know, going into training camp last year. And then, of course, Jordan Poyer. I mean, those are four really good star players, man. And uh, I had Ed Oliver number two right behind Vaughn Miller. But anyway, look, it didn't happen. Now, to be fair, injuries played at least some role in Ed Oliver's 2022 season. He missed three games. He had an ankle injury early in the year, a pec injury later in the year. And I'm sure he played some games at far less than 100%, just like a lot of guys do in the NFL, especially trench guys. But still, he was a hit-and-miss player this year. Some games he looked great. Some games he made zero difference. And unfortunately, that included the playoffs, especially against Cincinnati. He, he along with most of the other guys on the defense, were just absolutely invisible. Invisible, man. And I know some people who are very high on Ed Oliver, who, to be honest, I have a hard time figuring out how that's possible at this point, how somebody could be really that high on him. Well, we'll point fancy advanced stats at me, rush win rate percentage or something else like that, but whatever, man. I see a guy in Ed Oliver right now who doesn't look anything more than a pretty nice player to me. He's going into his fifth year now, so, you know, I, I wonder... How much more is he going to improve? Now, it's unrealistic to expect this guy to be Chris Jones, maybe, or definitely Aaron Donald. But I don't think it's unrealistic to expect the ninth overall pick in the draft going into his, this was his fourth year, to be a dominant player. 
or at least close to it. And I don't think he was. And by the way, speaking of this, you know, Ed Oliver, he's guaranteed $10.7 million for this upcoming year because Brandon Bean exercised his fifth-year option last year. So now you're talking $10.7 million for a guy who at the end of the day, and again, I know sacks aren't the end-all, be-all with telling a story, especially for defensive tackles, but $10.7 million for a guy who had 2.5 sacks this past season in 13 games. No one at one Bills Drive is going to admit this, but I'm wondering, and maybe you are too, if the Bills a year ago could have a do-over on this, would they exercise an option to guarantee that at Oliver $10.7 million? Is that Oliver worth $10.7 million to you right now? I think that's a fair question. Quite frankly, I, I think a healthy Jordan Phillips which, to be fair, you know, didn't really happen much in 2022. He was hurt a lot. But give me a healthy Jordan Phillips, and I think he's pretty much as good as Ed Oliver and probably would come in at less than half the price. I just, I think Ed Oliver has a lot to prove in 2023. I don't think he's earned a long-term extension based on last year, and I think the Bills would be foolish this offseason to give him one. You know, as much as we hate Christian Wilkins in, in Buffalo, as a person, the, the, the defensive tackle for Miami, man, he went four picks after Ed Oliver. And I know it's unpopular to say, but I think he's a much better player than Ed Oliver right now. Now, I'm not saying Ed Oliver's a bust. You know, I'm not saying he's a horrible choice with the ninth overall pick. And I'm not saying there's no chance the Bills decide they want to keep him long term. I'm just saying he's got a lot to prove and measuring by at least what I was expected of him. Going into 2022, which I thought was to be among the best five to 10 defensive tackles in the NFL, did not happen. And he was a big time uh, sore spot for me. Sports fans who like to wager, which is pretty much everyone these days, I'm here to tell you about Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day bets. If you're looking for a one stop space on these interwebs to compare odds live up to the minute, Look no further than Odds Trader. Why is Odds Trader so valuable to you? Well, for starters, it's the perfect place to compare betting odds and lines from all the major sports books. Why does it matter? Well, it matters because if you're liking a team, you want to throw down some cash on them, you're getting your choice of what's getting you the best odds, the best lines. It's a chance to find the highest payouts if you're betting the underdogs or profiting the most if you're going to go with the favorites. Odds Trader also allows you to compare all the different sign-up codes and promos from the sports books to get the best deal out there for you. If that's not enough, the Odds Trader app gives you the player stats, key game stats, injury reports, projected game day weather, which could be a huge thing to know in certain situations. Odds Trader also has a bet tracker so that you can keep records of all your games that you have wagers on and all your betting activity. Simply put, Odds Trader gives you quite literally everything you need to make the most informed bets humanly possible. If you're into betting on sports games, any sport, by the way, make sure you go to oddstrader.com slash blue wire. Again, that's oddstrader.com slash blue wire. Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day bets. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm back. You know, I, I can't help but laugh. I just constantly, every time I do a solo show here, I always say, not going to keep you long. It's going to be a short one. And then it never is. It always ends up being a typical normal length episode of Talking Buffalo. But anyway, right, let's keep cooking here. Number five, Gabe Davis did not ascend. First, a little context here. Gabe Davis is a fourth round draft pick from three years ago. This is a guy who ended the 2021 season with over 200 yards and four touchdowns in that instant classic 13-second playoff game at Kansas City. I think that set the bar really, really high for Gabe Davis. Maybe too high, not just for fans, but maybe management too. The Bills did very little at wide receiver and free agency last year. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders retired. Um, They cut Cole Beasley, and they added Jameson Crowder was brought in primarily to play the slot. They didn't do anything on the outside. They didn't draft a wide receiver into the fifth round. They took Khalil Shakir. In essence, they handed the number two wide receiver job to Gabe Davis, and we expected a lot. And by that, it was not a great season by the standards that the Buffalo Bills put out. But again, context here, folks. 836 yards and seven touchdowns is in garbage production for a number two wide receiver. At times, Gabe Davis, I thought he was great, especially that Pittsburgh game. But the combination, he had a foot or ankle injury. I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was both very early on. And maybe issues with his confidence, maybe in part because of that, it plagued him all year, and that was obvious. And it made Gabe Davis's 2022 season maddeningly uh, inconsistent. Now, he had 171 yards against Pittsburgh, that game I talked about. Just three catches. Unbelievable, that game. He had two other games with at least 88 yards, but he also had eight games this season where he failed to get the 40 yards receiving. And he only had more than four catches in a game twice during the entire regular season. And he was in the playoffs, fantastic against Miami in the wild card round. In fact, he might have saved the Bills' asses. Six catches for a buck 13 and a tutty. But just like everyone else on offense, he disappeared against the Bengals. Two catches for 34 yards. No factor at all. And that's the story of his season. And I'll tell you, man, Matt, the drops were an issue. And at times, you know, one of the biggest problems, his drop against the Jets, that long ball on fourth down, that probably cost a chance uh, for the Bills to to tie that game and maybe win it at the very end. Uh, he had 48 catches on 93 targets. That's a terrible ratio. Conversely, Dawson Knox, the tight end, same amount of catches, 48. But he added on 28 less targets. Now, granted, a lot of those, 
you know, aren't downfield like Gabe Davis often goes, but you know, still there's just, there's a lot of issues with Gabe Davis, but it is again, also about context. You're talking about a fourth round guy, a guy who's a fourth rounder has 200 yards in a playoff game. A guy who has 836 yards this year is he's a good draft pick, but just being a good draft pick doesn't make you a good number two wide receiver. And it pains me to say that because I am a big, big, big Gabe Davis fan. I've been a big defender of Gabe Davis. I have talked him up for a couple of years now, but this was not, he was a sore spot this year. There's no other way to say, it. look, his route running, his, his, his route tree, they, they leave something to be desired. Let's just put it that way. Patrick Peterson from the Vikings came right out and said, this dude runs like three routes and he's so easy to defend. Is he really lying? I don't think he is. Cause I think Gabe Davis is a limited route runner and separation doesn't seem to be a strength for Gabe especially on those short and intermediate routes. So you add that with his penchant for dropping passes that he shouldn't drop, sometimes not getting his feet down where other receivers would. Uh, I don't know how the, what the Bills do this offseason. I don't know how they do it. You know, they want to go the veteran route with the cap shape they're in. It's going to be very difficult, man. There's, you want to bring in an, a, like a DJ Chalk or, or somebody like that, a guy that you think could be your new number two receiver who's a veteran. It's going to take some maneuvering by Brandon Bean. But, you know, the Bills do need, they need to add more to this wide receiver room. And that's in large part because Gabe Davis was not what we hoped he would be. Number four, the younger defensive line didn't step up, especially after Vaughn Miller got hurt. Now, Brandon Bean has done a lot of good during his tenure as Bills GM. At this point, though, questioning all the resources that he is drained into this defensive line with mixed results at best. That's a problem. Of course, you know, we're talking about taking first rounders with Ed Oliver and Greg Rizzo, second rounders with AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham. Uh, they backed up the Brinks truck for Vaughn Miller. They brought back former Bills first round pick Shaq Lawson. They brought back Jordan Phillips, who was good for the Bills a handful of years ago. So there's no lack of investment, whether it's money or, or draft capital with this defensive line. And uh, to be fair, the defensive line looked really, really good with Vaughn Miller in the lineup. Who was absolutely, by the way, Vaughn Miller playing up to the standards that we expected with him before he got hurt on Thanksgiving. He was playing up to his contract for sure. He looked like one of the best defensive ends in the NFL, like he always has. But then Vaughn tore that ACL in Detroit, which in hindsight, that did a lot more damage than just him leaving the lineup. It seemed that most and maybe even all the defensive line, well, not all, but most for sure. They saw their play tail off significantly after Vaughn Miller got hurt. Greg Rizzo, who still was pretty good for all in all his second year, but he only had three sacks in six games after Vaughn got hurt and he had a complete disappearing act in the playoffs. Like Greg Rizzo was MIA in the playoffs, both against Miami and Cincinnati. A.J. Epinesa ditto. Three sacks in six games after Vaughn Miller, which looks okay. Again, a disappearing act completely in the playoffs. And by the way, A.J. Epinesa, and I've been following the Bills for a very long time. He had one of the most, who cares, seven sack seasons in the history of the franchise. Hell, maybe in the history of the NFL. A.J. Epinesa, not a factor, somehow had seven sacks. That's a perfect example of how overrated stats could be in the NFL, especially sacks. Boogie Basham. Only three sacks on the season. 
He purely, after two years, looks like a splash player who will make a play here and there and then just disappears for long stretches. Shaq Lawson, in my opinion anyway, firing away the most consistent defensive end, not named Vaughn Miller on this team over the course of the entire season. I thought Shaq, once he got into the lineup, he wasn't playing much early. But once he got in, I thought he was really good, both in rushing the passer and especially against the run, made some key stops. I thought Shaq Lawson was a big asset. And that's even after Vaughn Miller went down. Like Shaq's one of the few guys that continue to show up and play to his ability. So with all the resources being put in his D-line, it's hard to fathom right now that this still may be a big, big need going into the offseason. But that may be the case. Who knows when Vaughn Miller is going to be ready to play again? I ain't speculating, not after what happened with Trey White last year or this year. Now Vaughn Miller's been through this before. So he has experience at coming back and dealing with this. But still, I ain't trying to speculate when Vaughn's going to be back. Shaq Lawson, who I, I just keep praise on, he's a free agent. Who knows if he's even back? He's earned, a, he's earned a payday somewhere. And by the way, it's not like he's old. I think he's like in his late 20s. Not like this is some 34-year-old guy who's got one or two years left. He might have earned himself a payday somewhere based on people who are going to watch the film. Good for him if he does. So I don't even know if they can bring back Shaq if they want to. I'm having a hard time trusting A.J. Epinesa or Boogie Basham to hold down the fort next season alongside Greg Rizzo, who, like I said, I don't think he's the same player without Vaughn Miller either. So just call me skeptical, man. But Brandon Bean may be required to sink even more resources into a position that I think just underperformed once Vaughn Miller got hurt. Uh, number three, more questions than answers. When it comes to coaching, look, we left last season infuriated that the Bills lost to the Chiefs in the final 13 seconds. Never, ever get this twisted. Sean McDermott blew that game. Joked, gagged. Now, yes, Leslie Frazier had a role in it, but I've said this a million times and I'll say it a million more. When the Bills kicked that ball and there was 13 seconds left and the Chiefs had time for two plays, Leslie Frazier called the prevent defense and was playing 15, 20 yards away from the line with his defenders. Sean McDermott called timeout. Not on one of those, but both of those last two plays for the Chiefs and could have changed that defense. He didn't. So it's as much on him. The Bills went into the season with Leslie Frazier, who again, he continues to lead the Bills defense to great regular season numbers, rankings, DVOA, you name it. The Bills are near the top before they ultimately had that playoff implosion on defense. It's happened three straight years now. On the offensive side, Ken Dorsey, a first-year OC, you could tell. There just seemed to be little continuity with this offense this year. No identity. Very little creativity. Very little imagination. I mean, did the Bills run a trick play once the entire season? It's hard to remember if they did. It felt like Brian Dable did something out of the box every week with the Bills. Didn't really see much of that at all from Dorsey. Uh, it seemed like guys hardly ever went in motion. Is a screen pass even in the Bills' playbook? I don't know. This offense just lacked in the play calling. It lacked in the player development, including a rookie, James Cook, who I feel should have been a much, much bigger weapon, even as a first-year rookie. And I know the Bills don't like to play rookies unless they have to, but James Cook could have and should have been 
a weapon in this offense. Want to go back to the Bengals playoff game? It's so easy to do that. James Cook, zero targets in the playoffs. Just or in, in the loss, I should say, to, to Cincinnati. It's just unacceptable. And as for Sean McDermott, look, he's a character guy. He's a team builder. We already knew that. We saw firsthand this year what a great leader Manny was. If we didn't already know it, we, we definitely saw it this year after what happened with DeMar. He's great with that. But year after year, the guy coaches aggressively in the regular season, and then he acts petrified in the playoffs when it matters most. That punt on 4th and 10 from the Bengals 41, down 10. With 40 seconds left, four and a half. We can go back and forth arguing forever, and some people will with me. But for me, it represented not trusting his all-world quarterback and his offense to make a play that maybe jumpstarts their mindset going into the locker room because Lord knows they needed it. But no. Instead, Sean McDermott coached and played it to not fall further behind. It's just frustrating. And it's fair to question McDermott at this point. People who call for him to be fired, that's just dumb. That shit ain't happening. Not by a long shot. It would take another postseason flop in the first round to even be considered for him to be on any hot seat. And even that would be questionable. And yeah, guys like Andy Reid lost several times before he finally got over the hump. I am by no means saying Sean McDermott won't find a way to get Buffalo over the hump. He may. And I obviously hope he does. But it's fair to question it until when and if he gives you a reason to not question it. And I think this coaching staff, between Dorsey's very mixed result, first year at OC, put the stats in the garbage because I'm talking about when it matters. Uh, Sean McDermott's game management and Leslie Frazier's just, again, annual playoff defensive face plant. I see more questions than answers at this point. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, folks, two more here. We're winding down. Number two. The offensive line was a mess from starters to depth. Over the next handful of weeks here on this show and all shows that you listen to on social media, fans, mock drafters, they're going to argue about the Bills' biggest needs. Some, many in fact, they're going to say weaponry on the offense should be the biggest priority. I'm going to tell you this right now today. And I will tell you this every time the topic comes up from now until April 27th. 
I vehemently disagree. I think upgrading as much of the offensive line as humanly possible can and should be priority number one. Now look, again, people will be quick to point out that the Buffalo Bills were second in the NFL in points and second in the NFL in total yards this year. It's a fair point. They'll point to DBOA. There'll be advanced stats out there that will talk about how great the Bills offense is. And again, it's not really wrong. The Bills offense was great, although they did come up empty with 10 points in a very embarrassing and telling playoff blowout loss. But I'll argue to the end of this earth that the Bills offense was very, very good in 2022, often in spite of the offensive line, not because of it. Josh Allen makes a lot of people look better. It's as simple as that. I do not think the Bills offensive line is nearly good enough as it is right now. Deion Dawkins, to me, regressed at least a little bit in 2022, although I'd be willing to bet his stats look pretty similar as they did in 2021 when he made the Pro Bowl. Now, I'm not saying the guy fell off a cliff. He looked maybe a little bit less than. I think Mitch Morris was very solid. Found away the best player on the Bills offensive line this year. But I worry about his health, especially after another concussion last season. Will his next one be his last? And when will that come? When it comes to Ryan Bates, the Bills matched a pretty substantial Chicago Bears offer in restricted free agency last year. They brought Ryan Bates back. I thought he was okay. I guess he's serviceable enough. You could definitely do worse than Ryan Bates. But on the other side, I think Roger Saffold was a disaster. And I don't care what kind of metric you throw at me to suggest otherwise. He's, in all due respect to him, a nice guy, very insightful guy. See him on Twitter all the time. Good dude, but he's got to go. And I personally, me, feel the same way about Spencer Brown. I'm not talking about getting cut like he's got to go, but... You know, I don't think Spencer Brown should be the starting right tackle. Though going by Brandon Bean's press conference at the end of the year, I don't see any way that's not happening. Bean raved about him and talked about how his offseason was, you know, recovering from a back surgery and he didn't get the reps during the offseason and the training camp and he wasn't the same player in the first half, but he improved in the second half. There's some validity to that. I'm not going to lie. Missing all, you know, the offseason stuff and the back surgery and all that stuff, I... It's a fair point to say, but I still don't buy it. I think he's too big. He's too tall. I don't think he has bad. I think he's always going to struggle against those speed rushers on the edge. At the bare minimum, he should not go into training camp next season or this summer, I should say, written in pen as a starter. He needs, at a minimum, legitimate competition. And I don't mean Quisenberry. I mean legitimate competition where maybe he is the one facing an uphill battle to be the starter. Just generally speaking, the Bills offensive line underwhelmed the hell out of me this year. It badly needs upgrading. And this is where Brandon Bean needs to do his best work. You know, a few years ago, we watched the Kansas City Chiefs get murdered by Tampa in the Super Bowl. And that offseason, they revamped their offensive line. Last year, the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line was a tire fire, even though they somehow made it to the Super Bowl. 
and they spent huge money in the offseason upgraded, even though ultimately they got decimated by injuries to the line late in the season. The Bills could not do anything against them, despite the fact they had three stars out. Anyway, there's not going to be any big ticket items in free agency for the Bills on the offensive line. Brandon Bean needs to find a veteran who's better than Roger Staffel, which based on his play from what I saw last year should be hard to do. They need to take a long look, very long, and a hard at the top of their draft look. To, and they need to find a few guys who can play in the trenches. Now, I personally think, and you're welcome to disagree, that the 2022 Buffalo Bills offensive line was the biggest weakness on their team when each position was healthy, which of course wasn't often enough. Just bottom line, the Bills need to get better, a lot better on the offensive line. And I'd rather have, they're going to spend money, give me good money on offensive guard and offensive tackle, whether it's, again, big ticket free agency or even decent money free agency or the top of the draft. Give me that before you give me a wide receiver too, or whatever. I think if you got a better offensive line and a quarterback like Josh Allen, I think the Bills have enough weapons. I think they need to protect Josh Allen better. In fact, offseason hashtag right there, hashtag protect Josh Allen. All right, we have reached number one. And for me, this is a pretty easy one. Injuries played a huge role in derailing the season. Look, <laughs> God, I hate excuses. When a team doesn't accomplish what it sets out to do, there's nothing more than what I hate than excuses. But it's undeniable, and I mean literally undeniable, that this season, more maybe than any other season I could ever remember with the Buffalo Bills, Injuries playing such a huge role in their 2022 demise. The list is long and the list is significant. Obviously, Vaughn Miller, the guy that they brought in to make the big plays in the playoffs and when it matters most, tears his ACL on Thanksgiving. That was the big blow. But there's more than just that, obviously. All-pro safety, Micah Hyde, did not play a snap the entire season. Got hurt in the summer out for the whole year, didn't play a snap. Jordan Poyer missed four games. He was never close to 100% physically the entire season, and he was a warrior, man. He was a warrior. That said, that man was so injured and banged up by the playoffs, he had nothing left. That Cincinnati game, Jordan Poyer, a all-pro caliber Safety had nothing left and was almost useless. I'm not laughing. I don't know why I'm laughing when I said that, but it's true. He was almost useless against the Bengals because he was so hurt. Trey White missed the first 10 games and he was a shell. We talked about this. I thought he was a shell of what he was before the ACL. Jermaine Emmons missed three games. Matt Milano missed a game and they both played hurt often. Ed Oliver missed three games. Jordan Phillips missed four games. Gregory Rizzo missed three games. A.J. Vanessa missed a game. On offense, Gabe Davis missed a game. And he wasn't close to 100% for a long stretch. Physically, I'm talking about. Mitch Morse missed three games. Dawkins, Spencer Brown, Ryan Bates, they all missed at least one game. And then, of course, you had Josh Allen. who didn't miss a game, but he played through a bad elbow injury. And he had pain ever since hurting it week nine against the Jets. Again, I hate, 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 hate using an excuse. But injuries 
more than anything else, we're the biggest sore spot physically, figuratively, and literally the biggest sore spot for the Buffalo Bills in 2022. All right, you know, it's not easy to talk about a team that's 13-3, and three, that goes into division around the playoffs, that went through as much as they did. And by the way, injuries, I didn't even talk about DeMar Hamlin. That goes without saying. But anyway, a team to win 13 games, with everything they went through, injuries, emotionally and everything, it wasn't a bad season. It did not end the way we wanted it to. But, you know, the, the window's still there. It is still there. I said at the beginning of the show, it, it, it's not going to be any wider than it's been the last two years, but it is still there. These were the 10 Bills' biggest sore spots. Most of these guys that we talked about, they're going to be back. They're going to have to be better Simple as that. They're going to have to be better in 2023. All right, that's going to do it for this show. Again, we'll have an episode real soon where we talk about the 10 biggest bright spots. And there were plenty of bright spots on the 2023 Buffalo Bills. Thank you for listening. If you don't already follow me on Twitter, make sure you do at Pamoran Tweets. Tuesdays, Joe Yurden. Fridays, Aaron Quinn every week. Random bonus episodes throughout. Imperial live shows start February 23rd. My man Tyler Dunn's going to be my first guest. Looking forward to that. Thank you again for listening and watching. Make sure you subscribe and follow, please. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.